Hey, everybody. It's the Virtual Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Frank Scappatici, here to do a solo episode. And today I want to talk about the do's and don'ts of raising money. Um, in our company, this is one of my primary responsibilities, whereas John finds the deals and does most of the upfront underwriting, then we both agree to move forward with the deal. And then I am responsible for contract to close, which includes raising capital. John does help, but I do most of the work in this area, both the logistics and admin of stuff, administrative stuff I manage, and I also do the investor relations. So that's uh, something that's near and dear to my heart. And I want to just talk about mostly good things, mostly things you should do, but maybe one or two things you should not do. And uh, these are in no specific order. I'm just going to start spewing out uh, my take on things and my advice. I'm going to start with a, a negative though. A do not. Do not. Or I don't say do not, but be careful about the way, if you ever do this, outsource capital raising. I see people do this. We do not do this. We have never, we've had people refer us um, to other investors or LPs for sure. Existing inv investors that are happy tend to do that for you, which is great. But we've never went to another group um, and said, hey, we're going to outsource all the capital raising to you. We've, we've worked with a wealth management fund who has investors on the other side, but we've never said like, hey, you go find investors for us. And there's a couple of ways I've seen people do this, right? Um, it's usually newer sponsors too with a lower, not lower, but less of a track record. And you know maybe they have a person that says, hey, I'll go help you find investors and for I'll take a fee or a percentage based on how much capital I raised, right? That exists. And then there's people that say, hey, I'll raise money for you or try to find capital for you, but I'll take part in some type of profit sharing in the deal, maybe part of the sponsors promote or what have you, right? And I, um, I am not a huge fan of this, especially if that person's not a very, very close friend or a, um, a well-known acquaintance, because people can miscommunicate to investors if they don't understand the deal very well. They don't understand the good things or the risks. And if you have someone raising money on your behalf and they're not a sponsor in the deal, right? They have no skin in the game. That introduces legal risk for you, right? Deal goes bad. That investor makes the argument that that person miscommunicated the deal terms of the deal or facts about the deal itself to them. You weren't in the room to dispute that fact. And now you have a sticky legal situation. That's a, you know, odds are this doesn't happen to you if you're doing everything else right, but you're introducing risk um, into your business when capital raising is something you should really focus on getting good at anyway. Like my point is don't outsource it because you're eventually going to need to learn how to do it. And you might as well just start getting after that day one, right? And there's also the question, like if you're having trouble raising capital to the point you need to outsource it, you have to ask yourself, is there an issue with the deal, right? Maybe this deal is not so good. Or is there a perceived issue with me as the sponsor? Maybe you've had some integrity issues in the past, right? Like if you can't raise money on your first couple of deals, those two things you really have to ask yourself honestly. And I would ask those questions before you start outsourcing it, right? That's that's one thing I've seen. Um, and I'll say this, I see this behavior a lot in like the Instagram space on social media. Uh, when you peel back the covers and you start looking at who's involved in deals, I see it on the Instagram space a lot. So I do choose to, uh, I choose to be on Twitter a lot of the time, but the Instagram space has got some, some sneaky characters out there. I'll just say that. Um, okay, dues. Good thing to do, right? Um, call out the risks in the deal. Um, I think in storage, for example, one of the risks that storage has in almost any deal is it's it's pretty easy 
or you can add supply to a market relatively quickly, right? So the the risk in storage is the supply and demand economics in a given market can change pretty quickly. So it's something that you have to call out to investors, right? Hey, there's seven square feet of storage in this MSA or this location now, and we feel like this market can support nine. If you've owned that property for three years, let's say it was going well and it's three three years down the road, and now there's 10 square feet of storage per capita, that's a, that risk has now been realized, right? Now you can argue that that's, it might be oversupplied, right? So you have to tell investors what the risks are. I think most sophisticated investors enjoy or are happy when a syndicator or sponsor calls out the risk. So I think it's an easy way to gain trust and you know level set expectations. There's no, um, there's no free lunch out there. There's very, very few deals without some type of risk. Um, another do, be firm and as defined as you can with timelines when you're raising money for real estate. In the commercial real estate space, a capital raising process typically looks like, you know, you get the deal under contract, you go through some of your due diligence. Then when you feel comfortable sending that deal out to investors, you send it out to your, your investor list or the people that you expect to invest with you. Maybe you post it somewhere, um, what have you. You do all that, you get your verbal commits. And then sometime after the verbal commits, you have all of your investors sign subscription agreements and legal documents. You have a company operating agreement set up. And then you'll shortly after that, um, or I should say shortly, depending on your timeline, after that, you probably have a capital call, right? That's that's a sample process. That's how we do it. Um, be very upfront around when legal docs are expected to be signed. So when are investors going to get those legal docs? How much time do they have to review them? And what date do they have to wire you the money, right? Those three things, I think it's really important to spell that out as clearly as possible during the verbal commitment phase. Because what you don't want to have happen is someone doesn't know your timeline, you give them notice that a capital call is going on. And they're like, wait, I wanted to use my self-directed IRA account. I have to go talk to my custodian. That's going to take me a week or two. And now that person's out of the deal, right? Now you have a unhappy investor. And then you also have the risk of not having the capital required to close, depending upon how much they were contributing and how much money you have, right? So be very, very upfront about timeline. Timelines are so important that some investors think they might be able to do the deal and they actually can't, right? So you want that person to exit the situation and get ready for the next deal early in the process, not later. So be very, very firm and upfront about timelines. Um, Another thing I think is an easy win um, and also puts pressure on you to be a good investor relations person is tell investors what communications will look like to them post-closing. In our business, we send um, updates out on our properties every two weeks during the first three months. Cause that's in storage. The first three months is where the rubber meets the road. You, I think you were going to find out on most of our deals, if it's going to be a winner in the first 90 days. So we send out frequent updates during that period. After that, it's all monthly updates. And we, we follow a pretty um, similar format for every update, right? We tell investors that during the process that gives them comfort. It makes them feel good. And it also holds you accountable. Like if you don't do that, your investors now are going to start asking you, Hey, where's my update? And that's a good way to, to force you to be a good investor relations person. So put some pressure on your IR so that you do a good job. And it also makes investors happy to know how they're going to be communicated with and how often. So definitely do that. Um, another thing to do, um, and I think even if it's your first syndication, I would do this. Hire an attorney. Hire an attorney. They can set up your legal entities, your structures, do the operating agreements, all the investor documents. If you got more than three or four investors in the deal, do it. I think it's totally worth it. We've gotten to the point now where our attorney also reviews 
all of our loan packages, closing statements, right? Um, the title. And we've kind of outsourced that part of the process. And I would say if we were not able to lean on our attorney to do all this work, my attorney and their team, it would be extremely difficult to close multiple deals within one month. Doing doing all this on your own, um, I'm not even sure if you could do it. Like we just immediately used an attorney. Um, I'm not even sure if you could do it on your own, but um, unless it's just you and one other party, I would I would advise you to hire an attorney and uh, maybe it cost you 10 grand on the first deal, but I think it's well worth it and uh, it'll save you some sanity. Um, and then another one, if you're in the sub $3 million commercial real estate space, um, some lenders will allow you not to do surveys or phase ones and all the third party kind of due diligence stuff you got to do, um, or that, you know, you should do, do them. Um, I would do them. God forbid you get a survey or you're trying to sell the property three years from now. And there's some issue with the survey or the boundaries, or maybe the site used to be a landfill. And because your lender didn't require you to do a phase one environmental study, um, you didn't get one done. You didn't know about it. Now you're trying to sell the property and it's, it's hurting you, right? Maybe your exit price is going down because your buyer found all this out. Um, if a deal goes really bad and this happens to you, I would I could see an investor making the argument that you were being negligent as a sponsor, right? So now you have another legal risk added on top of this. So don't let um don't don't let yourself get in a situation where mistakes start to compound like that. I would just get all that stuff done regardless of the deal size. Um, unless it's like I guess it's if it's 200 grand, I guess you can afford to to not do it. But if it's over a million bucks, just do it. Um, it'll save you some heartache and um, give your investors some confidence that you're doing your job. So do the third party due diligence work. Um, another do, right? Have a CRM. People get super, super lazy with investor relations. They just write the names down of people that are interested in a notepad. And um, I find that people are super lazy with investor stuff. And then the same company, they'll be super organized on their acquisitions pipeline. Just treat it exactly like you treat the core function of your business. If you're acquiring properties and you have a CRM set up, I would set up your investor pipeline the exact same way, right? Set up a CRM. It tends to force you to um, to look at everything like a sales funnel as well, which I think is healthy, right? You're If you're always raising money and you're always doing deals, that's that's you have one product, which is real estate um, or real estate acquisitions that you're, you're hunting for products. And investors are another thing that are part of your sales process, right? Have a CRM. Um, and then lastly, um, adjust terms in your first two years, your first two years, you're learning, you're going through investor pitches, you're doing deals. Hopefully your track record is getting stronger. Your, your properties are performing. Your business is performing. It's great. But in the first two years, I think it's okay to tell yourself, I can adjust my terms as feedback is given to me by investors. What are the terms I'm talking about? In commercial real estate, you typically have preferred return, which is the amount investors, the it's the return that investors get prior to the sponsor taking part in profit sharing. There's better ways to explain it, I'm sure, but that's that's one way to look at it. In our deals, we've had anywhere from a 6% preferred return to an 8% preferred return. We've had feedback on that, right? We've had feedback on fees. We, we started out and we didn't even know what we we're doing. We had like no fees. Our first deal, I think we had um, the fees weren't even enough to cover our due diligence costs the way we wrote it up. We, we were like net zero at closing. And um, that's, that's not good for us, right? 
Then we've moved it. We had two and a half, two and a half percent acquisitions fee. We had no assets under management fee. We had a one percent dispositions fee. The two and a half percent acquisitions fee, I'd say, is is somewhat normal. I see most people around two percent, so maybe we're a little higher there. We have no AUM fee, so it's obviously really low. It's zero, and the disposition, the one percent fee, seems to be pretty standard in our industry um, where we're at in the market. Um, so we got feedback recently, like, hey, like people. People are very happy that you have no AUM fee, but really the most important things that investors care about is the preferred return. They do care about the acquisition fee seemingly more than the AUM fee. So one of our investors was like, hey, make your life easier, increase the preferred return and, and just add an AUM fee because people are used to it, right? This is good feedback. Like we, we, uh, we're doing an uphill battle for no reason. Like this doesn't really affect Graylines returns or the investor returns at all, but that feedback is valuable because it's going to help us raise more money and we also build some relationships and build up some goodwill with that investor because that person's feedback is now making it directly into our business plan, right? Or into our business. So that they feel good. We feel good um, that we got good advice and hopefully our investors feel good too, right? But my point is this, like you're going to get a lot of feedback on your terms that you offer investors. And I think at the beginning, it's okay to be flexible. Like how much your promote is, I didn't even mention that, all that stuff. Um, and here's one thing. If your fees are super low, right? Like let's say you're 1%, 1%, 1% on your fees, or maybe you're not even taking an acquisition fee and you're not getting feedback on that at all. That means you're likely being not kind enough to yourself, right? As a sponsor, you need to, you have a responsibility to have a good personal balance sheet that allows you to take on loans. It provides more security and deals to have a sponsor that has more money. And you also got to feed your family too, right? So I got a buddy that I was just thinking about. He charged 1% acquisition fee and I think no AUM fee on a deal. And uh, the deal's going really, really well. And I look back at that and I'm like, dude, you deserve to get paid a little bit more than that, especially on these deals where I think his purchase price was under 2 million bucks. So this guy's creating all that value for investors, like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of value. And he probably netted like less than $10,000 post-closing. Not fair, right? He needs to get paid more. So be fair to yourself too, if you're not getting... If you're not getting feedback on fees, it's possible you're not charging enough, um, as unpopular as that may sound, but you got to pay yourself too. So um, that's it. That's all I had. I, uh, if you have any feedback for me, guys, on uh, do's and don'ts of capital raising, I'd love to hear it. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Frank Scat with two Ps. Um, long story short, though, like the, I guess to uh, culminate this episode, be honest. <laughs> do not fluff things. Have some conservative assumptions baked into your underwriting model. Tell the truth and try to be a good person. I think if you just follow that guidance, 90% of the issues that you could encounter raising capital will, will not exist. So good luck out there. I hope you're all growing, up, growing your business and uh, enjoy the summer. Peace, guys.